And we're live. Perfect. Hey, welcome everybody. Thanks for everyone who's joining in and welcome to the Decred Assembly. This is episode 16. Today we're going to be talking about some ASICs. Today, my name is Trace and co-hosting with me is Luke. And today we have the Obelisk team. So we have David and Zach. Welcome, guys. Nice to, uh, yeah, nice to be on the stream. Yeah, no, we're, we're excited to have you. You know, a few weeks ago we had the DCR ASICs team on and we went over their project a little bit, so we're excited to hear about yours. Um, before that, we just have a couple updates, you know, on what's going on with Decred. So, Luke, if you want to touch on what's been going on with the competition and kind of where the proposal system's at. Sure. So we have the Politea uh, challenge going on right now, and we've actually extended the deadline. It was December 1st. We've extended it back to the end of January just to give teams a little more time to work on the projects throughout the, these holiday breaks. Um, so we also have a Decred Roundtable episode coming out this week that is uh, all about Politea. It provides the technical breakdown uh, targeted towards a non-technical audience. So you know, hopefully everybody will be able to understand exactly what it is, what it can be used for. We have an interview with uh, Jake Okampiat, project organizer for Decred, about some use cases besides be using it for uh, the Decred proposal system. So check it out. That will be launched um, later this week. And yeah, back to you, Trace. Yeah, and then we should have another episode of Decred Assembly coming out next week as well, and just be on the lookout for updates there. But yeah, so if you guys don't mind, David and Zach, would you mind just kind of introducing yourselves a little bit, going over kind of your background as far as just how you got into crypto, and um, yeah, just like an overview of how you guys started making ASICs. Sure, uh, so my name is David Vork, and I've been passionately following Bitcoin since about 2011. The, uh, Dollar and a half was the price of Bitcoin when I first heard about it. And no, I, I did not buy any at that point. Uh, but from there, uh, definitely clued into Bitcoin, like I think every day since 2011, <laughs> uh, paying attention to the news and the topics and the tech and just as stuff's going out. And somewhere around 2013, uh, especially in the early days, I was thinking a lot like, oh, this system seems really inefficient and how can we do better? Um, so 2013, spending a lot of time trying to look at new ways of doing consensus systems. Thought I had a good one. It was like storage based. And so it had this giant Ruby Goldberg storage based contraption. Um, and I took it, you know, it's the Bitcoin core devs. I was like, hey, what if we replace proof of work with this? And they just like totally tore it apart. Um, oh, wow. But the, no, they were right. You know, they gave me a list of like 19 reasons that it was broken beyond repair, and all 19 reasons were pretty valid. Uh, and then so, but so even though it wasn't good for consensus, it was like, well, it does seem good for a storage platform at least. Uh, so we started over from scratch. We have, we decided let's just use proof of work as our consensus mechanism, uh, and then we built a storage platform out of that called Sia. Um, and part of the, so part of the, I guess, Bitcoin research has been, has been mining um, and just really trying to understand every facet of a consensus system. And so when we picked proof of work for SIO, one of the choices at the time was do you do ASIC resistance or do you sort of embrace ASICs and, and try to be ASIC friendly? Um, and I think for a lot of reasons, ASIC, being ASIC friendly is the right reason uh, or is, is the right choice. And so we, um, we intentionally made SIA ASIC friendly. We made it the Blake 2B algorithm, uh, which we thought 
would be would be really amenable to ASICs. And then we sort of launched our project in 2015. Um, and then at some point, the SIA market cap went from, you know, being too low and the block reward was too low to sustain ASICs. You know, as, as you guys know, I'm sure ASICs are extremely expensive to develop. Um, and, and we just didn't have the block reward to justify building an ASIC. But at some point, it, it went above that barrier. And we're like, well, it'd be really awful if Bitmain uh, made ASICs and cornered the market and then controlled SIA the way they control Bitcoin. Um, and, and like even more awful because it, at least in Bitcoin, Bitmain doesn't have like a perfect monopoly. But we were afraid that since there's no competitors at all, if, if Bitmain got there first, uh, they would have a perfect monopoly and they could do a lot more damage than what happened in Bitcoin. So we, we said we could, if we're first, uh, then, then we can make sure that we sell ASICs to everybody. So that was sort of the impetus for us getting involved in mining. Um, and then when we did that, simultaneously, we're like, mining's really hard. We know that there's a lot to learn, and, and it's, definitely, it's definitely a brutal process. You look at all the failed projects and, and dead companies that have resulted from you know, mining warfare or mistakes or whatever. Um, and we're like, if, if we're going to do it for Zaya, we can recycle that expertise. And so we looked at basically all the coins that seemed ASIC-friendly, um, and all the coins that made made decisions to pursue ASICs, of which there were seemed to be four. Um, so Asaya, Decred, Library, and Pascal are the coins that we came up with. And Library and Pascal were both too low market cap to justify going through any any significant development effort. Uh, but Decred was actually at the time, I think. Saya was worth 60% of the aggregate value, and Decred was worth 40%. I think at this point, it's flipped, and now I think Decred's got 60%, and Saya has 40%. Um, but the fact remains, both, both are large enough projects with big enough block rewards that ASICs make a lot of sense. Um, and so we started back in July making ASICs for both of them. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a brief truncated background. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I know you you hit on a couple couple things. Now, is Saya sponsored by Obelisk, or did you guys just both come out of Saya and form Obelisk? Because just what does that relationship look like? So Saya is uh, so we have a company called Nebulous, um, and the sort of impetus of of Nebulous is to make blockchain projects of which until Obelisk came along, Saya was the only one. Um, so all of the core devs for Saya who work, everybody who works full time on Saya, which is certainly not, not all of the developers who contribute to Saya, uh, work for Nebulous right now. And that same entity, Saya was the only thing that Nebulous did, and so the two were effectively the same. Uh, but that same entity decided to spin out Obelisk to do the chip thing where like, Hardware is its own beast, and we want to. We don't want it to be Saya like a Saya hardware company. We want to be able to divide the two, um, so that you know the mess that Obelisk runs into and the mess that Saya runs into, the two don't interfere with each other. Um, and so we're, we've been trying to, and and the goal and the reason we have a separate company called Obelisk is to split the two. But the parent company Nebulous uh, wholly owns both, so it it is Saya and it's also not. Yeah, and we're, um, you know, by the time we ship, hopefully by, by June uh, 2018 or earlier, 
uh, we'll have a totally separate team for Obelisk. So we're in the process right now of, of building out a separate team. So we'll have the Saya team, all the Obelisk team. Um, you know, we'll probably have someone running Obelisk. Uh, David will likely kind of go back and forth between both, and uh, and I'm, I might as well. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like building out a whole separate company. And it will be um, Obelisk making the the ASICs for Decred, correct? That's correct. Yeah, and so as we kind of talk a little bit more about the ASICs, one thing I, I did want to just disclose is that, you know, these are both uh, community-sponsored projects. You know, official Decred is not necessarily propagating or officiating either of them, but we are really excited to have you guys on and talk about it, and we are going to get in a little bit of the numbers and, um, yeah, just the metrics of, of the different ASICs. So, um, and then also, if you guys just want to touch really quickly, what is an ASIC and... Um, just kind of what is the process for, for getting an ASIC form? We touched on it a little bit last episode, but just for those who haven't viewed. Yeah, uh, so as for what is an ASIC, uh, basically, uh, so I'm going to start with what is a CPU. A CPU sure. is a piece of silicon that can do a ton of different things. And so one of those things, uh, you know, it, it has essentially a bunch of complex instructions, complicated things that it can do in, say, one clock cycle or, or a small number of clock cycles. And so when you have like an arbitrary piece of software, CPUs have a really strong ability to take this like super complicated thing, like say an operating system, and dice it into pieces that fit onto the, you know, that, that can go really quickly through the CPU. So now when we move to GPU, a GPU is much simpler. So it, it still has, you know, I think a CPU has something like a thousand instructions, and a GPU I think has maybe a hundred, but the hundred instructions tend to be much simpler. And what that means is they take up a lot less area. They take up a lot less energy. And so you can do these simpler uh, operations on the GPU much faster. And so because it's simpler, if you try and run, say, an operating system on a GPU, operating system does a lot of complex things. It's going to, it's going to really struggle on a GPU. But if you have something like, say, Decred Mining, Decred mining is actually fundamentally quite simple, and so it, it fits really well. And so, you know, a, a CPU has, say, eight cores, right? And so it can, do, it can do mining in 8x parallelism. And a GPU has, say, 1,000 cores, and so it can do mining in 1,000x parallelism. But it's still going to take you, you know, several hundred to maybe, you know, 1,000 clock cycles per hack that you do. Now, with our ASIC, what we've done is we took the whole algorithm and just put it in one, it's basically like one instruction or one, one really simple operation in silicon. What that means is that we can do a hash in our ASIC every single clock cycle uh, per core. And then because, because it only does that one thing, it doesn't have, you know, instead of having 100 instructions, it has one instruction. That means on the same amount of silicon, we can fit a ton more cores and Instead of these operations, you know, having like pipelining or, you know, uh, caching or other features that hashing makes no use of at all. We just take all those features, we throw them away, we don't need them. And so we end up with this thing that, that's really compact, really energy efficient, and it ends up being something like 100 times more energy efficient than a GPU. And because it's really, really tiny, we can, we can fit, you know, lots of cores on a single chip. And then we can do some really, really fast, really cheap, really efficient hashing. Um, and of course, the difficulty is making chips as hard 
The nice thing about GPUs is you can go to the store and you can buy a GPU. The not nice thing about ASICs is that your chip has to be custom tailored. And so you have to have people who know how to design chips. That in itself is a mind-numbingly complicated process. Um, I think the Decred mining algorithm is like, you know, at, at best it's 100 lines of code, right? It's, it's very tiny. And then our Decred chip and like instruction design for the Decred chip is like a 300-page book. Wow. Um, so it's mind-numbingly mind complicated to take this simple algorithm and put it efficiently into hardware. Um, and so that's, it's expensive to make those designs. And then you have to go to what's called a fab. You have to make what's called a mask, which is basically like a, like a mold. And so you get like the general shape or the, essentially the tooling that you need to build chips. Those masks are really expensive. I think uh, at 28 nanometers, they're in the around a million dollars just for the masks. So you don't even have chips. You have to make the masks first. And then at 16 nanometers, they're like $5 million. And again, that gets you zero chips. You just paid $5 million to get the ability to make chips at all. And then you can start making chips. Um, and so that's why when I, you know, at the beginning, I was like, early on, the Cyan market cap couldn't afford to make ASICs it's because these masks cost millions of dollars. The design costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we need to be able to sell enough ASICs to, to pay for all those, all those expenses. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I know that you guys were running your pre-sale on the, on the Obelisk site. So if, you know, for instance, what is your starting number for how many that you want to produce for Saya and how many you want to produce for Decred? Yeah, so the nice thing is that we don't have to, basically we're finishing up the design right now. And okay. um, it's, it's like a, I guess it took us almost six months, right? We've, we've been working on it pretty much since July. I know I reached out to Custom Silicon Solutions in May. So I know, I know that they've been thinking about Cyan Decred for six months. Um, and we're just about to finalize everything. And so we don't have to pick the number of chips that we make until we do what's called tape out. Um, and tape out is when you finalize the chip, you send it to the fab, and it gets started on this, like, it's like a 13-week process to make the masks. And so you, you, know, you pay them a million bucks, and it, and it starts in motion. And then once you tape out, you can't change anything about the chip. Um, if you made a mistake, that mistake is permanently there, and your, all your chips are worthless, uh, which, which adds to the stress of making ASICs. Um, is that one, you know, that 300-page book, it's got one mistake on page 50, uh, wow. the whole thing might be broken. Yeah, but we, we <laughs> did decide, though, to do a cap of um, 4,000 units for, for each sale. And whatever, whatever number shows on the Obelisk site at the, end of the, at the end of the sale, so the sale closes on the 24th, that's Friday, and then after that, you have seven more days to make a payment. Uh, we have lots of people order units and then never pay. Um, and so we won't know the exact count until the following week, um, the following Friday. But once we have all the money in, uh, we will be able to announce exactly how many batch one units there are going to be. Um, and then we promised at least a six-week exclusive period where we're not going to ship any units beyond that. We're not going to – there aren't going to be any obelisk units in production, whether ours or otherwise, other than the number that we're going to give end of the week Friday. And we've, no matter how many we sell on Friday, we will not make more than 4,000 of each, uh, of each unit. And, and that includes uh, our own units. Oh, that's great. 
And so we can get into the to the numbers and the metrics of, of the of the chips in a bit. But before that, I wanted to just kind of touch on. So I know you'd mentioned kind of CPUs, GPUs, and ASICs. And so there's the debate always, you know, what what is superior? Is you know a GPU farm, you know, is that more decentralized and, and better for a network, or is an ASIC better for a network? Because just kind of to your point, you know, the GPUs are much more accessible. So ideally, you know, everyone could have a GPU and be mining. Versus ASICs are a lot more specific and a lot more expensive to come by and require a lot more uh, forethought. Yeah, so I think the really tricky pitfall here is proof of work mining. Mining is about security. It's not about decentralization. And, and while we want our security to be decentralized, we also want it to be secure. Um, and so, for example, the Cyan network, right, we have a relatively decentralized set of miners. Um, something I think we're up to like five pools right now um, and you know lots of home users mining with GPUs but there are ethereum farms not pools ethereum farms in China that have enough GPUs to 51% attack our network and so all this decentralization doesn't mean anything for side network security because there is still one person who is capable of executing a 51% attack on our network as though our mining was completely centralized under that one person. And so GPUs offer this sort of false sense of decentralization in the sense that, yes, it's distributed a lot better, but no, it doesn't actually provide security, which is what, which is what we're really going for. Which is what, but when you switch to ASICs, the SIA chips can only mine on the SIA network, and the Decred chips can only mine on the Decred network. And as much as our... Uh, our, our buyers, our customers, want the chips to be able to switch between them. Um, that's just not how, not how ASICs work. And that actually works to the benefits of both projects because it means that the 4,000 units, you know, if, if SIA sell, right now I think we have around 2,400 SIA sales and around 500 Decred sales, which means by hash rate, SIA would weigh over muscle Decred, except that the SIA units can't be used to attack the Decred network. It is completely irrelevant that the SIA network has more units to Decred because only the Decred units can work and do proof of work on the Decred network. That's just much, it's much better for both projects that way. Yeah, one thing I like too is that um, I think it aligns incentives a bit better. I think we see right now a lot of dual mining with Ethereum, which means that you know, the miners might actually hold on to their, their Ether but they often dump the other coin that's being dual mined. They might not feel as invested or as part of the community. They might not really have a stake in it. Um, while if you buy a Obelisk, you know, DCR1 for Decred or SC1 for, for SciaCoin, uh, you have a huge stake in the community and uh, your incentives are very much aligned. You, you have to see the network succeed because um, your miner can only do one thing, which is mine SciaCoin or Decred. And I think that Alliance incentives a lot better. It's not perfect, right? Because what we've seen with Bitcoin, you know, people still have different incentives. But I think it's a lot better than the dual mining that we see right now with Ethereum. Yeah, that's actually one thing that I'm interested to see how it actually plays out because I think it's very apparent in Decred. If you look at you know the price history, you'll see these new cycles where Decred will get some headlines, the price will pop up, and then after that, it'll just be like slow downward pricing pressure for like you know a couple of weeks or months until the next new cycle, which is most likely called caused by those uh, dual miners just dumping the Decred, right? So I'm interested to see if um, ASICs coming online will you know prevent that at all and if it will help uh, support the decred price but 
we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, all we have right now is, I mean, we have anecdotal evidence from what our customers have said so far. A lot of them said they're not going to, back before we back before we announced the DCR1, they said, we're, we're not going to sell any of the Sci-Coin for at least a year or whatever that we mine, um, unless you want to accept to cover elect electricity, right? So we'll, we'll see what actually happens, but I think we're really excited to, uh, to see that as well. Yeah, and I think I think the point that you made just about the security of the network is integral because you know at the end of the day that there will be some profits at first, but you know as things start to calm down, I think it's the security and the the maintaining of the network that we're really going to see um, some great use because just like you said, it becomes obsolete if you try to use it for another coin. Otherwise, Bitcoin would have dominated every single every single other project. <laughs> yep, and one thing too, I think that is kind of different about what we are doing. Um, is we didn't go right for um, trying to sell in bulk to data centers. Um, instead, we tried to design something that uh, a consumer would be happy to have in his or her home, right? Something that is not as noisy. We're going to be using fans that are a little bit more expensive but are more quiet. They use like silicon fasteners instead of screws to keep the noise levels down. Um, if you've seen you know, the design on our website right now, that's just the first version. We'll probably have to do some iterations and changes. But it's something that looks a lot nicer than what's currently out there. Something that you know, a person who buys one or two, I think our average order size has been between one and two, maybe maybe around two units per per customer, which is so different than you know, like what a Bitmain is doing, where um, they don't care about the noise, they don't care about the appearance, they don't care about a lot of things because their customers just buy in bulk and throw them on shelves. Obviously, we do care about you know that that data center market as well. Um, and we'll likely have different versions in the future, right, tailored to data center or home use. But our whole goal is to sell these to um, a lot of individuals to get the hash rate as decentralized as possible. And we don't even do any bulk discounts. Like if you come to us and you want to buy 50 of them, we're not going to give you a discount on the price, which is very different. Maybe it's not the most savvy move for a hardware manufacturer, but it aligns better with our, our philosophy of, of decentralization. Oh, that's great. And so just kind of getting into to that a little bit more, you know, hash power and just how that works, you know, with people having GPU farms, GPU rigs, and now, you know, some of these ASIC rigs, uh, kind of walk us through what, what does that look like? I know you said they're like smaller units, but are you guys going to have larger units as well? So I think, gonna ship? I think at some point we're going to increase our, our offering. I know. So one thing we've done is we offer co-location. Um, and, and we don't offer it directly. We connect you with people who are like, yes, we want to host Obelisk units. It'll be 50 bucks a month, uh, and then we'll just set them on our shelf or whatever. Um, and so a lot of these co-location places, uh, they pay per shelf space in addition mm -hmm. to per, um, you know, per kilowatt or per, per energy. And so we do plan on making a more energy-dense unit that's either you know, like 1,400 watts, um, or, or even we'll make something that's like an entire rack. Um, but that's, we don't want to overextend ourselves. We know that, so, so one of the really big things that I think is going to be key to our success and has helped us so far is that we have a lot of examples of miners that worked and a lot of examples that miners that didn't. And so especially on our first, on our first round out, we're, we basically modeled heavily after the Antminer line, uh, which has been very successful. We know how the chips work. We know how the cooling works. And then we just we scaled it down to something slightly less ambitious. 
Um, and so if, if we end up not being nearly as good at cooling, you know, 1400 watts as Antminer is, actually it's only 500 watts. So we have, like we made sure, we wanted to copy paste as much of the successful industry as we could and then give ourselves a little bit extra headroom in case we missed a few tricks or, you know, there are some pitfalls that we weren't aware of. We gave ourselves buffer at every stage of the process. We built in buffer. Um, and then once we have our first line of units, that's when you'll see us start to get a little bit more experimentational because we'll understand a lot better once we have once we have a unit that we can you know like poke, um, we'll understand better what the limitations are and what the risks are, and we can we can explore more uh, with doing with doing like bigger rigs or smaller rigs or yeah, et cetera. And and additionally, um, you know, even though we have two units, right, one for Cycoin, one for Decred the vast majority of the hardware is the same for both. Mm -hmm. And that's going to help a lot. It's not like we're manufacturing two completely different models that need two different supply chains and two different, you know, I mean, different assembly steps. We'll be able to, I mean, most of it will overlap. And um, hopefully, even when we do branch off into other things, we'll be able to reuse our designs where we won't have to have different designs for other chips. Much like you see right now, Bitmain, they have a few different models, but it all looks the same. And that's super important from a manufacturing uh, perspective. They could probably get away with doing a couple different models that look different. And just like you sometimes see Bitmain doing some more experimental designs, like I think they did one uh, a little while ago that didn't have a fan. It was a, a huge passive cooling unit um, for home use, even though it, lo it looked kind of ugly, but it was still meant for to be, to be quiet that you can put in your home. And um, so yeah, so we just, we don't want to overextend ourselves. We want to do, um, one model that's as simple as possible to manufacture, and then there might be, obviously there'll be variations on, on the chips, there might be slight variations on the boards to accommodate that, um, but they're gonna be as close to the same as possible so that we can just reuse as much of our supply chain and our manufacturing processes. Great. So you said that you have a lot of buffer built in, so what are some of the biggest threats to delivering on time? Yeah, um, so we, we did a lot of homework and figuring out, uh, including things like just call, like we we had Butterfly Labs on the phone. <laughs> yeah, we're we like, did. <laughs> hey, when you did this minor, what went wrong? Um, and for example, there a lot of things were surprising. Um, and, and you know, like I'm a little cautious because I know our competitors are watching this. But free tip: uh, one of the things that really got them is is when they went to order power supplies. There was a backlog of three months on power supplies. And so that ended up delaying the units because you have to get the power supply before you can ship. Um, and so there were, we found maybe like, I'd say easily more than a dozen just like gotchas where, you know, things ended up being more expensive, things ended up taking longer. You know, the PCB guys ended up needing two or three iterations instead of one and that's, you know, multiple weeks per iteration. Um, or you know, cooling issues are super, super commonly cited that, hey, these, these things are really hard to cool. Um, and so that's another reason why we really backed off on the 1,000 watts. Like, if this is a company-killing problem, let's not tackle 1,000 watts. Let's, let's do 500 and prove that we can do 500 before we, before we step it up and compete with, say, what Bitmain, what Bitmain does. Um, yeah, so I think, and then, and then the other thing is that just delays. Every step of the process has delays. It always takes, you know, several weeks longer to design than you were expecting. Tape out 
you know, it is not always super smooth. Sometimes, you know, chip packaging gets disrupted. Sometimes, uh, you know, parts aren't available. Sometimes you're, you're, you know, when you're shipping the actual units themselves, there can be problems there or like customs can get upset at you or, and so when we said, when we said uh, June 30th, 2018, that is, there was a lot of buffer. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, we've already eaten into some of that buffer. Um, but, but we've been very conscious of all the steps that we have to do, all the, all the pauses that we are potentially up against, and making sure that we're doing, basically, our whole process is, is as pipelined as possible. We, you know, we're working every, things that don't matter for four months, we're doing right now, because uh, we want to make sure that it's all, it's all good to go the moment those chips come off the press. And there's a question in the chat about the opposite end of the spectrum. So if you guys deliver early, can the buyer expect a longer exclusive period? Uh, probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we will. Um, so, so there's a part of the process um, that is what I would say are like biggest, biggest risk or biggest point of, of difficulty and that's when you get the chips sometimes they work sometimes they don't and we we you know did lots of verification on our chips um, you know we verified through the whole stack from from C code to HDL from HDL to routes then from routes we we did a lot of timing verification so we're very confident in these chips uh, but it's extremely confident or it's extremely common in traditional chips like so extremely common that it's not even advised to skip the, the metal spin stage. But basically what you do is you make a bunch of chips and then you get, you get the first round back and you just see where you screwed up. And usually it's like very tiny things. It's like one gate. One gate, you messed up and the connection's screwed. But, and then that one gate out of a two million gate chip screws up everything. Um, and so you have, to, you have to do what's called a spin and you can fix, usually you don't have to redo the whole chip. You can fix that one gate by, you know, rewiring some of the top layers of the chip. And then it's going to go. If you make that mistake, that's going to cost you at least eight weeks. And it's going to delay your chips by eight weeks. And, and if you make enough chips to ship everything immediately, uh, you're going to have to throw all those chips away. Um, and so, so if we make 3,000 units worth of chips, we put ourselves at risk of having to destroy all all three thousand units worth of chips, and then rebuy you know rebuy the process and redo it, and we we're going to lose eight weeks. So that's after that point, it will be once we know whether or not the metal spin, whether or not we need a metal spin, we will make an announcement and we'll figure out what the timing on the batch two is going to be because if we if we make the metal spin versus if we miss the metal spin and how much money that costs us, because de depending on where the fault is, it could be very cheap or it could be more, more expensive. Uh, we're not going to know exactly what our batch two timeline is until, until we know what the, yeah, until we know what the first round of chips look like. And the only thing that does mitigate the downside of having to do a metal spin, um, is that, so let's say we have 3,000 chips and they're all pretty much useless. They're still chips and we can still use that to perfect our manufacturing process. So even though it doesn't, they don't necessarily work and we can't ship them, we could have um, a lot of the PCB work and all the manufacturing assembly line stuff all more refined. So at least we'll be more ready for the chips. 
So even though that would set us back eight weeks, maybe we'll be able to make up in that case a couple weeks from getting everything else ready to go first. So it's not, I mean, it's bad, but it's not like an end of the world scenario. It's not like we, we just sit on our hands for, for eight weeks. And our current June 30th timeline does assume that we will need a metal spin. So we did, uh, we did bake in time for the worst case scenario. And, and our engineers are giving us a 95% confidence. They say, they say they believe it's about 95% likely that we will not need a metal spin. Uh, they're experienced chip designers. They've done plenty of full custom designs. They did uh, Bitcoin chips at 28 nanometers, so they know um, they know the process. They did need a metal spin on the 28 nanometer Bitcoin chips. Um, there was one gate that they screwed up, and it was a <laughs> yeah on the whole entire chip one gate. The fix was super easy. They did they did a really tiny rewiring. It didn't in fact it didn't impact performance whatsoever. Um, but they they did do that. They said they they're more familiar with the 28 nanometer process now. They think that that one mistake that they made uh, was a fluke, and they they know to watch out for that particular mistake. So we're we're confident we won't need one, but but we need to we need to prepare for it. Yeah, definitely. Going off of Luke's question of just about like delivery and delays, how are you planning on controlling just like the the overall distribution? you know, as far as, you know, who's going to get what and if you're putting any, like, moral stipulations on when to start mining or, or what that looks like. So our um, philosophy, I would say, is very practical. Uh, we, we are cognizant of potential competition. Like I said, one of the reasons we did this is because we're afraid of Bitmain coming and eating Saya. Um, and so we have been very careful not to put handcuffs on ourselves that would give Bitmain an edge um, and so that's one of the reasons why our exclusive period is only six weeks. If Bitmain comes in and sees that we have a four-month exclusive period, that's enough time for them to get chips and get in on the exclusive period and eliminate it. And so we'll be stuck, you know, legally unable to sell chips, and Bitmain will go and take the whole market. Um, and so we, the restrictions that we put on ourselves are, we, we, have, we have restrictions in place, but they are limited because we know that we, they, they need to be loose enough that we can compete with Bitmain when Bitmain's running without it, without restrictions and at full strength. Um, and so in terms of shipping, we're going to produce all the units and we're going to ship them as soon as they're ready, ready to go. And we're going to ship them basically whatever the, whatever the shipping supply chain is capable of, we're going to use it to its, its fullest capability, which means if you're in an area that's more out of the way as far as global shipping lines go, um, you're probably going to get it a couple days later. But the six-week exclusive period is going to, with the exception of, like, extreme delays or, or unusual circumstances. Or, or like, cust, cust, like, unusual customs Yeah, or delays. custom yeah. seizures or whatever. Tough, yeah. if we're, going, we're going to start the six weeks as soon as the majority of users have received their, have received their units. Um, and so it's not, it's not when the first guy gets his unit. It's when most people have gotten their units, and it's just the outliers who are left. That's when the six weeks starts. That's great. Luke, did you have any questions before we, we get into kind of the, um, the hash power? No. Luke, you, uh, you have your mic muted. muted. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry okay. about that. So tradition, yeah, 
traditionally with these like type of um, crowdfunded projects, you know, a lot of them have failed in the past, particularly ASIC projects. And two of the big reasons they failed is either they didn't uh, have enough funding to get, you know, make it all the way through, or they're outsourcing some of the like core components of the work. So my first question is, um, you know, how are you guys going to make sure you have enough funding to get to the finish line? Um, you know, especially if the the initial sale like doesn't cover the as much cost as you thought. Or and then the second question is, are you outsourcing any of the work? Yeah. So the funding question is pretty easy. We have at this point uh, sold enough units to cover all of our expenses or all of our anticipated expenses, including paying for things like another round of chips, a metal spin including if the units end up being several hundred dollars more to manufacture than we were expecting. Um, so at this point, we have sold enough uh, Psy and Decred units combined to make sure that both, both sets can make, can make it to the finish line. Um, and that includes buffers for mistakes that could cost you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, so we're very glad to be in that position. And um, yeah, I think, I think it's, we're, we're really happy with the amount of money that we've raised, and, and it's enough money to get everything to the finish line. And before, before you hop on to the second part of the question, outsourcing, I think one of the other benefits is you know, Nebulous Inc. is a venture capital-backed company. Um, you know, we, I, th I think that's a big benefit because if for some reason we were so close to having hardware that is ready to go, but then we have some sort of small gap that doesn't cover it. Like if everything went wrong, and then all the stuff went wrong that we didn't build in for, um, we actually have traditional venture capital investors who would help us cover that gap in that in that circumstance. It's likely, I mean, it's, it's more than likely we'll never have to use that, um, but I think that's a huge benefit. We're not just a project that is doing a crowd sale that has no track record and no investors. Um, we you know we, we have some we have some well-known venture capital investors. Um, and to answer the second part of your question, uh, we have done a ton of research on what's required to get a Bitcoin ASIC out the door, and we do not identify having subcontractors itself as the problem. Usually, there were other underlying problems. For example, PCB guys were complaining like, "Hey, we're not going to be able to cool this chip." You're, you know, you're giving us something unreasonable to work with, and then the you know the chip guys went ahead and made a made a chip that's too hot anyway, or other communication breakdowns uh, with you know requirements on what the chip had to be, where the tolerances were, and or other other situations like that. So we we have had the teams uh, who are on opposite sides of the country meet in person. Um, I have, I mean, Zach and I, you know, meet meet them all the time. Um, I'm on the West Coast frequently, and every time I'm out on the West Coast, I go and I give our chip guys a visit. Um, and so we've been keeping the communication very high. But I think more importantly than the communication is just being aware of you know those like dozen or so, uh, more more than a dozen pitfalls that I highlighted that were the downfall of you know KNC, Cointera, Spoonduli's, Butterfly Labs. Um, you know there are just a ton of pitfalls that got all of them and. We've been making sure that our guys and our subcontractors are aware of these pitfalls. And whenever we make a design decision, we're like, hey, is this what is this what the successful people did? Is this what the unsuccessful people did? Why, why is this decision the right one to make? And we we make sure that we walk through every every decision that we make is very carefully referenced against the dozens of examples that we have behind us. 
to make sure that we can we can follow the footsteps of the people who succeeded and understand the failures of the people who failed. And, and I would even argue that um, contracting out the chip work specifically yeah. <laughs> is actually more beneficial than trying to do it in-house. Um, which may, maybe that's controversial controversial to say, but I think the reasoning behind that is there's only so many people that have developed full custom ASICs for cryptocurrency mining. There's only so many teams across the world. Um, and the fact that we're using one that has produced, you know, functioning high quality chips um, that with full custom 28 nanometer process, um, I think gives us a huge leg up uh, over anyone else. Do you maybe want to talk about the difference between ASICs for uh, crypto mining versus, you know, like regular ASICs? Sure. Um, yeah. So, so one of the things, like chip chip design in general, is just extremely hard. It requires a lot of expertise, and cryptocurrency ASICs are even more nasty. Um, so, numbers that were quoted to me is that a a typical ASIC, you know, you 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 can make ASICs to put in cars um, or like hard drives. Often have little you know specialized circuits to do some hard drive function. So, traditional ASICs have what's called a toggle rate. That's how how often the transistor is flipping or how, how often your, your switches and your transistors are active, somewhere around like 7%, which means you know, every time you flip, that generates heat. Um, and, so, and so the silicon as a whole is like, quote, unquote, 7% active or 93% dark. Um, and so the, the heat dissipates pretty well because it has time to dissipate before it you know, activates and does something again. Cryptocurrency miners, like the Bitcoin chips and like our, our Decred and Saya chips, have toggle rates closer. So what's considered high, I believe, in the ASIC space is like 15%. If it's like 15%, you have to start to you know, learn like a different field to figure out how to handle all this, all this heat that these switches and, and transistors are generating. And I think Bitcoin chips are somewhere in the like 40 to 60% range of toggle wow. rate. 15 is high, and the Bitcoin chip is just like constantly on. There, there's like no dark silicon. It's just the whole chip is lit up 100% of the time. And that means that the skill sets that you develop for making traditional ASICs, it's not that they don't translate. It's that they're insufficient alone. There's a second learning curve that you have to go through when you step up to these really hot chips. Um, and so we have a team of, you know, I, I think the ones working on our and Decred chips is like eight full-time people who have done Bitcoin chips before, or really experienced, who have done you know, more than 300 ASICs total as a whole. Um, and, and so I think that, especially with the chip stuff, uh, you really want to get the best of the best working on your chip. And that's exactly what we did. No, oh, that's cool. Let's get into some of the specifications. Um, I know you guys, you know, we went into a little detail about GPUs versus ASICs, but what kind of hash power can we be expecting from an ASIC, specifically the one from Obelisk? Yeah, so I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a 1080 Ti mining on Decred gets something like five terahashes per second. So I'm sorry, five gigahashes giga per hashes. second. <laughs> I was no. going to say, it's like we don't even need ASICs now. <laughs> five gigahashes per second. Um, and then our units will do 1,500 gigahashes per second. Um, and I think your 1080 Ti is going to be, what, like 100 watts? I think maybe a little bit more than that. Somewhere between 70 and 130 watts, I think, to do that 5 gigahashes per second. And our 1,500 gigahashes per second 
So that's 500x the hash rate. It's going to be uh, 500 watts. Uh, so you can get 500x the hash rate for you know around 5x the power consumption. Um, and if I go to buy that, I can just plug it into my wall at home. That's correct. And we will supply you. We will be providing these units with a power supply, which means you don't even have to go out and buy that. You just plug it into the wall, then plug it in to an Ethernet port, um, and, and you're good to go. It's it's ready to ready to run at home. Yeah, and it has an interface similar to like a wireless router, where as long as you have a computer on your local network at home, you can just you know go to the IP address and choose your mining pool and configure some other settings. Okay. That's neat. And then um, as far as kind of like the chip size, I know we got into that a little bit. You guys said you're using a 28 nanometer? That's correct. So we're using what's called a 28 nanometer full custom chip. Um, and I think it's important to highlight full custom there. Uh, there are several ways of building a chip. And the most common, uh, especially especially with traditional ASICs, the most common is to do what's called software routing. Um, or, or what's called, I guess, like semi-custom or non-custom, where you have, you basically create, you know, like a high-level transistor language, and then you have software translate that into an ASIC design. So an ASIC is composed, I think, I think our ASIC is like 42 uh, base layers and then 10 metal layers. Um, and what that means is when you draw a transistor, a transistor actually, you know, there's, there's a lot of, routing and wiring and, and that that gets translated some you know some way into like these 52 planes and and forgive me if my number's a little bit off it, it may be off uh, but we'll go with 52 52 planes that have wires and circuits running on them and, and that are connected to each other and so when it's it's sort of like writing code and then you use a compiler and it compiles down to assembler the assembler for a chip is just a bunch of wires running you know running between these layers um, and so just like if you take a really fancy program, or if you take, if you take a program, instead of using a compiler, you write it in assembler yourself, you can take a lot of shortcuts and cheats and like, uh, you can make a lot of optimizations that the mm -hmm. software compiler is just too, it's, it's just too naive to understand how to do all those optimizations. And so just like in, uh, just like with software programming, when you hand route your chip, or what, what's called when you do a full custom chip design, um, you can get two to five x performance improvements. And the reason that most most ASICs don't do this is because it's crazy. <laughs> um, you know, if you're talking about running wires between 52 layers, that's a lot to keep in your head. Making you know making a single one plus one gate is really complicated. Um, and, and like for example, at one point. You know, we were talking about the difference between equals equals and greater than equals. Um, to transition from equals equals to greater than equals on our on our hardware design, the guys were like, "Oh man, that's a week of work," and so we we didn't do it. <laughs> but uh, that just kind of highlights when you're doing everything by hand, there's an insane amount of work, but you get optimizations that usually make the chip two to five x more efficient than mm -hmm. using software routing. And so that's why that's why we went with this really labor-intensive, energy-intensive, like intellectually demanding process. And then we outsourced it to, to people who can do it really well. <laughs> and um, <laughs> for those of you who are watching who are Googling full custom, uh, a, another word that is more commonly used, I think, is hand-routed, because everything's by hand. So I think if you Google hand-routed, you can find a lot of good stuff. 
That's great. And then I know you guys mentioned that you're potentially doing a mining card as well. Down so the line. That would be down the line. Um, definitely it's not something that would ship alongside batch one. But uh, Zach and I are both pretty interested in something that would be like a GPU card. Yeah. But instead of instead of it doing graphics processing, it just, you know, mines Decred or mines Saya. Yeah, one of my personal kind of pet peeves with the whole mining industry is that, you know, you have units that have a specific lifetime, and then you have to honestly dispose of the majority of the unit. You know, there's no easy way to hot swap uh, boards or chips. So you have this chassis, you have a control board, um, the power supply you can you can typically reuse, uh, but you have parts that you're essentially throwing out once the life, lifetime of the miner you know is is done. Um, I would love to see something more modular. So I think we'll probably look at more modular designs down the line. But I think that's not always um, the easiest to do because that adds cost and then that eats into your mining reward. So that's honestly not always as feasible. But if we were to do something in a GPU slot, like a PCIe slot, um, I mean, that's the most modular you can get, right? And um, I, I think that'd be incredible. And then we could also be a little flexible in that case with cooling too, because it's, you know, it's a lot easier to do, for example, like a liquid cooled GPU, or, you know, GPUs can already move a lot of heat as it is, so we could just use more stock GPU coolers. Um, there's a lot of different ways we can be flexible about it. And so I'm really excited about that. I, I, you know, once as long as we're successful with this first batch, I think, you know, maybe a year or two after that, you'll you'll see some more interesting designs. Um, we're not going to be too ambitious with it, though. I know Butterfly Labs wanted to do a similar thing, and it looked very much like a regular graphics card with a blower fan. And um, it, when it shipped, it was this monstrosity that couldn't even fit in a case and had to be liquid cooled because the chips had so much heat coming off them, it was completely impossible to cool them within a regular computer chassis. So we're not going to overpromise, but I think it's definitely something that we're, we're looking closely at. Great. 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 And it looks like we have about 10 minutes left. Let me switch over to some um, questions from the chat. For sure. Yeah. Right. All right. Um, first up is re regarding the Oblisk owned miners, assuming that these appear on the pre-order stats, are you going to set your miners up first or wait until all the pre-orders have been shipped? So we will we will wait to we're going to set them up immediately, but we'll wait to turn them on until again uh, about the majority of the batch one uh, users have turned on their their miners. So we're we'll go ahead and let the let the early shipping route take the take the difficulty adjustment rewards. Yeah, and those numbers are built in right now to the to the order tracking that we have. Yep. Um, so and and if we for example if if we only sell um, a thousand uh, DCR1 miners. We're we're only going to mine twenty percent of that. Um, it's not like we're going to mine twenty percent of the four thousand cap. It's only going to be twenty percent of whatever hash rate is out there at a maximum. We might choose not to do that, but we've set this max of of twenty percent for ourselves. Yep, and this goes back. Then, to, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh no, you can finish. I was going to have a follow up question, but go for it. We uh, so we didn't touch on this yet. Uh, but we so we care about decentralization. We don't want anyone ending up with 51% of the hash rate. And with selfish mining, you can start to do that at around 25%. I think it's really close to like 29. Uh, but we didn't want anyone getting close to that, at least as much as we could help. So we decided to set the limit at 20%. And there's there's a balance there, right? Um, 
The reason we pick 20% and say not 1% is because if we set it at 1% and there's a mining farm that wants to spend you know, $4 million on chips, uh, they might just go make their own and then, and then your 1% your cap is completely meaningless. So it's, it's again that balance between decentralization but also being able to compete, making sure that nobody has a reason to circumvent you um, because your guards are not very useful if you know there's financial financial motivation for people to to go around them. Right. And so to clarify, then you know that that twenty percent rule, we won't sell anyone twenty percent of the ha- more than twenty percent of the hash rate for any is, of our devices. And that is the network hash rate, right? So if there's competition, mm-hmm. we may sell our entire stock to one party if we know that one party if our entire stock ends up being less than twenty percent of the total hash rate. Uh, but we we won't sell more than twenty percent of the total hash rate to any any single any single group as much as we can control. Are you planning on holding and uh, staking any of the decred that you mine? We are definitely planning on getting involved in staking. Um, I will also say we are definitely planning on selling enough decred to cover all costs, including manufacturing and electricity. Uh, but we expect plenty to be left over, and we'll definitely be staking at least some of that. Yeah, and that leads Great. into one of my other questions was, you know, have you guys been participating in the network prior? And, like, kind of what stuck out to you guys about Decred? Yeah, so Decred has been on my radar. Um, one of the things I really like about Decred is the devs. Um, I know some of the devs were involved with BTCD. Um, and at least as far as the, like, they come, they come out of the Bitcoin world with the Bitcoin philosophy, the sort of ASIC friendly, and, and like, you know, I can ask a question to the Decred devs, like, hey, you know, this looks like an avenue for selfish mining, let's talk about it. And the Decred dev will be like right there, will know exactly what I'm talking about. And in the whole coin world, that's like super rare. Um, I want to say there are like six coins, and I'll just go ahead and name them. It's like Bitcoin, Litecoin, Zcash, Monero, Decred, and Saya. Um, and then once you get beyond that, if you start to have like you know advanced decentralization theory questions, uh, you know, those are the only devs who can actually like give you competent answers. And and so, I'm very happy that Decred is in the list. Um, and, and yeah, we we're impressed with at the, at the very least the talent of the Decred developers. Um, and I think I think that bodes well for Decred's future when you know when the reckoning comes and all this nonsense and BS. <laughs> gets you know blown away. Uh, I think Decred's one of the one of the coins that has a good enough foundation to survive uh, whatever decimation. Yeah. <laughs> this was this was my first exposure to uh, to Decred. And I think a lot of people um, in the side community it was also their first exposure. Um, just through Obelisk, you know, doing the DCR1 miner. I, I've been really impressed especially with the community and how engaged the community is. I'm really impressed just with this Decred assembly thing as well. It's, it's given us, I think, a lot of ideas for the SIA community. We're also, on the SIA <laughs> side, far behind you on the design. You guys had this, this beautiful website, beautiful logo. Everything just seems so well put together. And, um, it, no, it's, it's, it's really impressive. It feels like a, like a really cohesive ecosystem. And I think, I think with the community engagement, I think staking probably also has a good amount to do with that, where you can get involved in multiple ways if you want to actually um, profit. Uh, so, so, yeah, it, it's, it's been awesome, and I think... I think what's cool is that we're we're also exposing Decred to a whole new user base of um, you know of miners who might then end up being uh, community members. Yep. 
Absolutely. You know, it's, we can learn a lot from, you know, the side community, just like you guys can learn a lot from us. Yep. Was there any well, other questions on the, on the YouTube or no? That was uh we've answered just about all the questions in the chat. Um, I think if anybody else has anything, they can post it real quick. But other than that, I think we can wrap up. Cool. And we can do a little wrap up too. Um, but you know, our sale ends on Friday. Um, it's uh, $24.99 per unit, whether it's you have to choose either the DCR1 or the SC1, right? Either only mine Sciacoin or only mine Decred. Um, we actually give a coupon with each batch. We give a $250 coupon for use in future batches, you know, because we're trying to build like a company that has future batches to ship out, right? This is definitely not like a one-time thing. And so the coupon is going to be really important. We also just announced today that um, if we hit more than 3,000 units total, which I think we probably already have during the last couple close. hours, then we're <laughs> going to give everyone an extra $500 coupon. And then there's a couple more stages. If we hit, um, I think it's if we hit 4,000, then we bump it up to $600. And if we hit 8,000, we bump it up 6, to 6,000. We bump it up to 8,000. Right. $800. Yes. Anyway. Yes. So, um, so we just tweeted that out today. But um, and yeah, feel free uh, if you have any questions. We also we have an Obelisk Discord chat um, that has over five hundred people now, and, and that's growing. We we kind of spun it off from the Obelisk channel on the Saya Discord. Um, we have Twitter. We have a subreddit that we haven't really started getting out there, but we will. And um, you can also always email us. You can click on our FAQ button, and and it'll allow you to to read through the FAQs and contact us directly, and we'll get back to you pretty fast. Um, we're going to be working really hard in the next few days. You know, through Thanksgiving and, and, and Black Friday to uh, to close up the sale, and we're really excited to uh, to answer your questions and uh, and yeah, it's been it's been great being here. One last question great. from the chat: Are there any large orders being processed that aren't reflected in the numbers shown on the site? Yeah, so that's a fantastic question. We have so I think the biggest order that we've confirmed so far is sixty five uh, today. Today, right? That came in. Right. That came in pretty recently. There is there are three other orders that are fifty or greater that I know of, and I think I think those are our biggest. I and think, then we have, yeah. uh, I, I think we're down to just one. So we've been we've been talking to some bigger potential buyers, and there's one that's looking at buying about two hundred and fifty units of each, uh, oh. but they have not committed yet. So we don't we don't know if they're going to end up with that. Uh, but they are. We are in talks with them, and and that is that is the number that they're looking at getting. Yeah, and commitments are, are actually really tough in this space too. We've had in the. <laughs> I mean, we we've been we launched the sale in, in late June, right in the last week of June. We've definitely had a lot of customers coming in saying we want to buy a few hundred, we want to buy a few hundred. We you know we talk with them for weeks, and then and then it never comes through. Um, I think that'll change once we ship the first batch. Um, yeah. But definitely when doing pre-sales, it's it's hard to get big commitments. I think Ken actually just messaged us before this saying we have someone who said they ordered a hundred. So, so okay. we'll 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 update the count tonight. Um, but but yeah. Yep. Great. Well, we really appreciate you guys coming on and explaining a little bit about what you're doing and how it relates to Decred. We're excited that you guys are, uh, yeah, bringing the ASICs to the community, and we're excited to see what the competition brings and yeah, what ASICs bring to the entire deal. Thanks again, guys. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Looking forward to it shipping. <laughs> Us too. <laughs> All right.